Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, today, we want to uh, again just speak a little bit about Christmas. And um, as I get to that, I think about the many rulers and leaders we have of the nations around the world, and perhaps we can think of rulers and leaders over the centuries who've been a mixture of some good rulers and some corrupt rulers. Often it's both in the same person. Uh, even now, now today in our world, we still have some very powerful leaders that we can see do things at times that are quite corrupt, abusing human rights and a whole range of other things for selfish gain and selfish uh, uh, grab at power. Often that's hidden, we don't see it all, they actually hide it very well, but we understand and know there is corrupt uh, rulers and world leaders around about us. Uh, Rulers and leaders, how do we find a just, fair, kind and humble leader who can truly lead people in a way that would honour honour Jesus or honour God. Well, Christmas is all about a king who is just, kind and humble. Christmas is all about a king who leads his people to eternal safety. We're going to see that today, uh, written by a prophet uh, 700 years before this king came, probably about 2,700 years ago. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Micah. Book of Micah, Old Testament. Minor prophets. I might need to give you a little bit longer to find that, mightn't I? If you skip through your Bible real quick, you might just jump over it. Micah chapter 5. Turn there and we will have it on the um, overhead uh, projector as well, on the data projector. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, reading through to verse 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid, is laid against us. With a rod they shall strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Epaphratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labour has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and treads in our palaces, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful opportunity today that we have to come and to open up your word. We ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, as we think about the prophet Micah and the way you moved in his life to prophesy of this coming king, we ask and pray, God, that you would open up our eyes now to see the glorious purposes that you're doing in this world for your glory and for our good, as we see what the prophet is telling us here about this good and gracious king, this shepherd king. We ask for your help now, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is a massively important event in showing the wonder and the glory of God for all people. 
It's a massive event for showing the glory and wonder of God. Unfortunately today though, uh, we've had the true significance of Christmas taken over uh, by festivities that are focused on food, uh, families, fun and gifts. Now don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with food, family, fun or gifts. They're all good. And I hope you've enjoyed some of that yesterday at least and maybe enjoying some more today as well. But... But if we truly get Christmas, truly get Christmas, families, fun, food and gifts will take on a whole new, deeper, satisfying meaning to enjoy them at another level if we really understand what Christmas is about. If we really understand what God has done through Christmas for us. Christmas has and always will be about one person. One person. Jesus Christ. The God-man born to rescue and to save us from our sins, born to bring us back into a right relationship with our Creator, with God the Father. The Christmas story is also an event that is part of God's grand overarching narrative of His glory uh, through Jesus Christ rescuing men, women and children. Uh, This is what the Bible is all about. The Bible is actually one story. It's one story from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. It's not a collection of stories, although there is a collection of stories in there. It's all one story of God's glory from start to finish. Micah chapter 5 is another beautiful piece of this mosaic that God has written about his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we jump into Micah, let's give a little bit of context because some of you think, I haven't read Micah for quite a while. Uh, Micah is a minor prophet. A minor prophet or a prophet is a spokesman of God, primarily for the nation of Israel. That is God's mouthpiece. That that is the way God spoke to his people back in that time. He would impress upon them his words and then the prophet would deliver that for the nation. Not only the nation, but for the world as well, but primarily for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is where God has chosen to bring Jesus into this world. Uh, You can go right back in the call of Abraham and forming the nation of Israel back then. Currently, though, Israel, which is quite a few years on from uh, Abraham, currently, though, Israel has grown prosperous in wealth and very complacent or self-righteous towards God. This is the state of Israel hundreds of years later when God has put them into the promised land. Their security in health, wealth and happiness has led them to disregard God as their sovereign Lord. Live life as they please, enjoying the blessings of God, but disregarding him as their true sovereign king. In God's mercy at this time, and over perhaps over many years beforehand as well, uh, he allows the nation of Assyria to come and to invade Israel so that they would experience what life is like when they live defiantly against God. They have this fortified city of Jerusalem, but they also uh, had this army, the Assyrian army, actually right at the doorstep of Jerusalem, wanting to invade and come in and take over and level the city. This is where you find Israel at this particular moment here with the prophet Micah. The Assyrian army is besieging Jerusalem. They're actually going to try and starve it out for food and for water so that the city will just uh, surrender. Israel has departed from God's ways And the priests and the prophets and the rulers that are still within the city of Jerusalem at least are giving them a very smooth story within that city. They're saying, hey, we are God's chosen people. Nothing can happen to us, even though there's a massive Assyrian army just outside those walls. 
And as you read through Micah, you'll see Micah moves from um, oracles, what we call oracles, or uh, statements of judgment, but then God's hope comes in there as well. If you, if you, it's a really good read, it's about five or six chapters, moving from judgment to hope, judgment to hope, but always there's hope there. Here's our big idea as we think about the prophet Micah today in chapter 5 in the shepherd king, it's this. God has given us a shepherd king who rules in God's strength and glory and who will lead us to dwell safely in him. God has given us a shepherd king who rules in God's strength and glory and who will lead us to dwell safely in him. Let's pick up Micah 5 then and see what's happening here, what God is trying to reveal of himself to us as we read this really important part of scripture. Micah 5 is an important part of God's plan of salvation for a lost and fallen world. I want us to quickly see that, just how God's plan is working through the Bible to actually reveal to, what God, reveal to us what God is doing. Let's go to Genesis 3, chapter 15, and we can put them up or you can quickly look there as well. And what we're going to see here is this plan over a number of verses take place where you see what God is doing. God is now talking to Satan who deceived Adam and Eve and he says to Satan this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That that is like the very first glimpse of the gospel in the Bible in that verse right there. He shall bruise your head, the seed of the woman shall crush your head, Satan. That is what God is saying to Satan right there. This is the first mention of God's plan of rescue and salvation for a fallen mankind. Further on in Genesis, Jacob, we find, is blessing his sons in his dying days. And he has a word for each of his sons who are about to succeed him as he dies. And he says this to Judah in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, a prophetical word again at this time. He says this, the scepter, which is like the king's ruling staff, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah's one of Jacob's sons, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. God's revealing something else here. From you, Judah, will come a king, will come a ruler. Okay, let's fast forward on a little bit further. So we're actually beginning to just put a few foundation pieces in place here. Then God, later on, speaks to David, his anointed and appointed king of Israel, who originally was just a shepherd boy from the back blocks of Bethlehem. And he says this to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 14, which we'll throw up there again for you. When your days are fulfilled, this is God talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, so somebody from your lineage, from your line, David, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Just catch those words. His kingdom forever. This is not a human king as such we're talking about, although it will be a human king. His kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Beginning to put a picture in place here. Genesis. uh, Genesis and Samuel were seeing what God's revealing. Now we have God again speaking through the prophet Micah where we are today. In verse 2. He says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrata, 
Well, that's where David comes from. King David's from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Paphratah, who are too little to be among the clans of who? Judah. That's where Jacob told Judah that in the in the prophesying from God, this is where the rulership will come. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, as prophesied in the past. Let's keep putting this plan together. Let's fast forward another 700 years or so. And what we have now is uh, a star has risen in the night sky and the wise men have decided this star has got something very significant about a birth of a king. So they actually go to King Herod, who's the king, the puppet king from Roman there in Israel. And I ask Herod, a king has been born. Where is this king? And then the wise men answer Herod has he asked that question? He asked the question, I'm sorry. And the wise men answer this in Matthew chapter 2. They say this. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Didn't we just read that verse somewhere else? That's how they saw it. They could see God's plan unfolding. This was not happening by chance. You see, Micah chapter 5 is an integral piece of God's plan for the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, who will be the shepherd king who will save and lead God's people. What is that telling us about God? God isn't a God of chance. God isn't winging it. God isn't making it up as he goes along. God isn't sort of up there, scratch his head, thinking, what will I do next? It's all planned out. He's sovereign. He rules. His plan is on track. Nothing happens outside of his sovereignty. Every last detail is being perfectly worked out. This, this ruler has been planned from old, from ancient of days, all according to God's plan. Christmas... Christmas is an important part of God's plan to bring his shepherd king to rescue us and to save us. Nothing happens by chance with God. Well, we see this also as we think about Micah here and what he's telling us about Christmas and telling us about the shepherd king. We see that God's purposes are partially revealed to us in this Christmas passage as well. The shepherd king that Mike is telling us about here and who we've seen unpacked through scripture, just not quite got to Matthew yet, is a king who's coming in the future. So until that time, as Micah would say, we need to patiently wait for him to arrive. Come back and look at verse 3 in Micah for that. It says this, Therefore he shall give them up until the time, until the time when she who is in labour has given birth then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Give them up until that time. So there's a time lapse here. There's a, there's a gap between what Micah's prophesying here and saying what's going to happen until it comes. So what does that mean? God has given us a kingdom which is sort of now and not yet. There's a sense where God has broken into this world with his kingdom 
And we see that through Jesus Christ when his birth does come and the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. It's not yet here in its totality. You see, us and Israel are really no different. What Mike is saying to them is very similar to what he's saying to us right now. Just a slightly different perspective. You see, Israel in Micah's time is waiting for the first coming of this shepherd king. That's happening then. And what are we doing? We are waiting for the second coming of this shepherd king. It's a similar context. In God's purposes, the shepherd king, King Jesus, his kingdom has broken into this world, but this world is not yet in full submission to him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Followers of Jesus, his church here on the earth, that is his kingdom is growing, it's alive, it's visible in that sense. But as we, are, as we are all clearly aware, not everybody is living in submission to this king at this stage. So God's purposes are that we live in faithful patience for the coming of this king for a second time. A second time. Who knows when that might be? Could be today. It could be a thousand years from now. Something else Michael wants us to see here about this shepherd king is that God promises us a shepherd king who will be like no other king or ruler we've ever come across. The rulers, the priests, the prophets of Israel's day, where Micah's writing this to, are a disaster. They are a disaster. They are false. They are just preaching a smooth message. Have a look for this little snippet or vignette of what Micah tells us about these prophets and priests and rulers in Micah 3.11. He says this, its heads or its rulers... They give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord amongst us? No disaster shall come upon us. They're false. They're smooth. They're just preaching what the people want to hear. They're tickling their ears. They're only in it for the money, Micah says. They preach lies of comfort and ease when Assyrian, the world superpower of the day, is right at the gate of Jerusalem. They're giving them a false sense of security. That's not the shepherd king, or that's not the ruler that God is sending for his people. That's a picture of where they are at this point. But we see in verse 4 something really different here about this shepherd king that Micah tells us about. Have a look there, it says this, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock... In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for he now shall be great to the ends of the earth. How will this shepherd king deal with his flock? How will he lead them? Well, he won't do it purely in human strength. It says there, he'll shepherd in the all-powerful strength of God. This shepherd king has the unlimited power of God. This is a shepherd. This is one who guides. This is one who leads. This is one who nurtures. This is one who protects his sheep. This is one who loves his people. This is one who does this in the unrivaled power of God, the unlimited power of God, the unstoppable power of God. This is a shepherd king where there is no power that can stand against the shepherd king to remove the people from this shepherd king what did jesus say in his earthly ministry all that the father has given me 
None can pluck them from my hand. None can pluck them from my hand. This shepherd king rules in the power of God, omnipotent, all-powerful, secure, safe. This shepherd also, he, he shepherds in the majesty of God's name. In other words, Jesus, this shepherd king, leads, guides, nurtures, protects his sheep, doing it all for the glory of God, doing it all for the wonder of his father, doing it all in perfect submission to the father, shepherding his people in the honour of God's name, doing it here so that God is glorified in the midst of these. This shepherd is a glorious shepherd. What else do we see? This shepherd also shepherds his sheep into safe pastures. It says that we will dwell securely with this shepherd king. There is no enemy or king that we have to fear as his sheep. Nothing to be feared when he is our shepherd over our lives. There's nothing in this world that we need to fear when we are under this shepherd. Sickness or disease, financial hardship or a career loss, we do not need to fear those things. Not even death has to be feared when this shepherd king is ruling over us. Why? Because of the safety of who Jesus is and what he's given for us keeps us safe. That doesn't mean some of those things won't happen to us. What that means is we don't need to fear those things if they do happen to us. Because ultimately our eternity in Christ as our shepherd king is secure. He enables us to dwell safely with him. And just in the verse 5, just the start there, it says this, we have a shepherd who shepherds us into everlasting peace. It says there, he shall be their peace. He shall be our peace. This is the peace that the Christmas shepherd king brings to us. When we know him as our shepherd king, we have peace in every situation, much the same as we can dwell safely in him. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding when you know this true shepherd king. This is a king and a shepherd like no other king or shepherd that's ever been to this world before. How does Jesus then, who fulfills this prophecy, as we see there back in Matthew before, how does he become our strength? How does he become this honour for us? How does he become our safety? How does he become our peace? How does he do this? Well, the shepherd king again does what no other shepherd king has ever done in the past or ever will do or could ever do. This shepherd king lays down his life for the sheep. Have a look in John chapter 10 and it says that for us. He says, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The king of Israel wasn't going to do that back in Micah's time. In fact, you've only got to fast forward through about another four or five more kings and in the middle of the night when the, uh, the, the Babylonian army this time are right at the gate's door of Jerusalem, he fled in the middle of the night, took off. He got hunted down and captured. But that's not the king we're talking about here. That's not the shepherd we're talking about here. This shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what the cross where Jesus died ultimately displays for us is the wonder and the glory of this shepherd king in what he's done for us. Jesus, our shepherd king, dies to defeat our biggest enemy, sin and death. We've all got problems in our life. 
But that's our biggest problem. It is sin and his death as the consequences of sin. Jesus brings us peace between God and us. And, uh, us. and our sin is dealt with once and for all at the cross as this shepherd king lays down his life and brings peace for us. See, this is the Christmas peace that this Christmas shepherd king brings to us, no matter how dark the days are or how dark the nights are. He brings peace through the middle of that darkness. And that peace holds us, that peace establishes us, that peace builds really strong foundations for us. God's plan is Jesus Christ. God's purposes are on track, as we see here, as we faithfully wait for his timing. And God's promises are sure and glorious for us as a gracious God. They will not fail. So what do we do? How do I respond to this shepherd king? How do I respond to what Micah has said today? How do I respond as I see God's plan falling into place? God asks simply that we believe who Jesus is. God asks simply that we put our faith and our trust in him as our shepherd king. We put our faith and trust in his life, death and resurrection as a real person who died a real death for real sin. God says simply put your trust in Christ and believe that he died in your place upon that cross to receive your forgiveness. That's the first response. Trust and believe in who Jesus is with reality from our heart. Secondly, though, he now calls us to live in obedience to this truth revealed through this shepherd king. And what this obedience is, it's an act of worship. It's an act of love towards a good and gracious king who's done all this for us, who's been given to us. Have a look with me here in Micah chapter 6, and they ask a similar question. Have a look what they say here in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? They're asking a similar question. How will I do this? What will I do? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Part of their sacrificial system back there is making atonement for sin. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of oil? Is that what I've got to do? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They're asking here, what should I do? How do I sort of make good for what I've done wrong? How do I, what do I do to make this God happy in my life? So they're asking a similar question. Shall I do all these things to win God over? Do I have to do something to sort of win his favour, to win his love or his um, kindness towards me? Should I make a big show of what I can do and that will actually sort of get God onto my side? No. No. It's believing in who Jesus is, the shepherd king, that he's done for us what we could never do for us in our place. But here's the obedient life of worship. It follows straight on for that as a response for the shepherd king. Have a look at Micah 6, 8, and some of you will know this verse particularly well. He says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, this is not to earn salvation this is not to win God's favor this is a response of what God has done for us what's he say there live justly live in fairness carry out all of your life in fair dealings 
in fair thoughts and fair feelings. Do your deals on Facebook Marketplace knowing God is watching and hearing every every single thing you say and do. Are you ripping people off or are you doing things justly? Do justice. Carry out that justice with generosity. Trust that God will meet your needs and you don't have to stitch up someone else to make your money to provide food on your table. Just be just. What else does he say? Love kindness. Love kindness. Don't just live a kind life, but love living a kind life. Don't just practice a kind life, but love practicing a kind life. Look at the kindness that Jesus, our shepherd king, has shown us when we were so undeserving of that kindness. And from that foundation, be kind. Be kind. Go out of your way to be kind to others. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon talking about kindness. Overcome evil with good, with direct and overt acts of kindness. If any man has done you a wrong... Do not only forgive it, but also avenge it by doing him a favour. Now, he's not saying avenge that person, just avenge that act of unkindness with an act of kindness. Kindness is one of the most powerful ways to win over an enemy. Everything within us, when something unkind is done to us, just wants to respond back in like ways. But God says, no, respond with kindness. It'll confound your enemy or the person who's done that act to you. How can you respond with kindness when I've done that to you? God says, love kindness. Love practicing kindness. Look at the end of verse 8 there as well. We are told simply to walk humbly with our God. Now, simple words, but difficult to carry out. In other words, understand who God is in the sense of humility and walking humbly before God. Understand who he is. Understand he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. Think much about who God is. Now this might be a good point to start with. You could do it from the Bible, but you can also see God in the natural revelation of the world around about us. Go into the night sky, particularly the last few nights where that big brilliant moon was there a few days ago. Go out there and look at that moon. You might have to do that about 2 o'clock in the morning, but I'd encourage you to do this. Go and say to yourself... God made that moon. God holds that moon in orbit. He makes that moon radiate that light from the sun as it's reflected off it. Look at the stars around that moon and say, he has made all those stars. He causes every star to shine with brightness. Think about that and then allow yourself to become really, really, really small. Allow yourself to become just a little dot, a dot on the face of this globe. Tell yourself that 99.9999999% of the world doesn't even know who I am. And that same number doesn't even really care about who I am either. See yourself as really, really small and understand this. That you or I, we don't contribute anything to God. 
He doesn't need anything. We don't have to, there's not something about us that God needs from us. We don't contribute anything. God doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. He really doesn't. He is totally complete in himself. The only reason he made us was so we could enjoy his glory and reflect his glory. He doesn't need us. God doesn't need the universe he's created. In his existence, which we can't fathom, he's complete and satisfied and fulfilled. That's a great thing. He doesn't need anything. Let yourself become really small, really insignificant, really tiny. Understand that every single person in this room and on the face of this globe is utterly dependent upon God. Think about the food that you ate yesterday. God provides that food. Yeah, we might have the skills to process it and cook it and and whatnot, but God provides that food. If he stops the food supply, we die. Totally dependent upon God. That may begin to just help you walk humbly before him when we realise we're nothing. We're absolutely nothing. But in this littleness, in this tininess, understand that God knows all about you. God knows all about you. Come back to this passage again in verse 2, and he says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel. This is just a beautiful snapshot into the heart of God right there, just in that passage. It shows us the heart and the mind of God right there. What is Bethlehem? Bethlehem is a tiny, insignificant village in Judah. It's nothing. It may be no more than a handful of maybe four or five families coming together to form a village. They just come and live in community together. Now, if there were Google Maps back then, I don't think Bethlehem would have made it to Google at that particular time. It's insignificant. It's tiny. But what is God saying there to this little dot on the map? From this backwater, from this forgotten about, no consequence village, nothing special about it, from Bethlehem. This is where God's son Jesus Christ will be born and to come into this world. This is where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will come, from this insignificant little village. You could say, God, why didn't you choose Jerusalem? That's the capital city of Israel. That's, that's where the bright lights are. That's where Jesus could really make a name for himself in Jerusalem. Why didn't you do that? That's where all the action is, God. That's the place where Jesus should have come. A really big, significant occasion. Lights on Broadway. It all could have been happening there. Well, that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world acts. The world says you've got to have a big social media profile for yourself. You've got, to make your, you've got to make a name for yourself. If you want to make an impact upon this world, if you want to get to the big stage, you've actually got to make a name for yourself in the right place. That's not how God works. God dwells with the least, the little and the low. 
God isn't looking at your social media profile to gain his attention. God comes and just gives his love to you, to you sovereignly. You see, to know that God works in the small details of our life is really, really powerful. And it's comforting for us at Christmas as well as we think about this um, shepherd king. Because perhaps yesterday you might have had a really dark day. Even though it was Christmas, you could have been really sad. You might have even felt forgotten by God. God, you don't know what I've been going through. You don't know the relationship breakdown I've had. You don't know the health. Lord God, I just think you've missed something. You've missed all the grief and pain that I've been through. Or maybe yesterday you sat down and you replayed that hurtful conversation in your mind over again that you just had this week with somebody. And you think, God, I don't think you were there. Well, yep, we're in a now and not yet kingdom with many unanswered questions with the mystery of God's providence, the way things take place in our life. And we're not always going to get the answers now, for sure. But we can rest assured in this, that the shepherd king who was born in the insignificant village of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, knows every conversation you've had, knows every hurt you may have experienced in the last week or the last month. He knows every detail about our lives. And this shepherd king walks that journey with you. And this shepherd king is working all things out for his glory and for your good, despite how it may be looking at this point in time. This is why we gather together at Christmas, to recognise this glorious shepherd king. Today we sit in God's presence and we worship him for Christmas, so giving us this glorious king, knowing his plan is right on track. He hasn't missed a beat and he won't miss a beat. That we come and we humbly serve him. We love justice, we love kindness and we walk humbly before this shepherd king. And we confidently await the second coming of this king just as a remnant were waiting for the first coming of the king back in Micah 2,700 years ago. That is a great comfort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and we can worship you. Father, we thank you today that we can come and we can recognise again this glorious shepherd king that you've sent for us. God, in a world that's gone mad, mad over everything except you, filling their lives up with everything else but you, finding nothing but fleeting glimpses of happiness and joy that are like fading shadows. God, we come this Christmas and we recognise again you've sent us a shepherd king, the one and only your precious, glorious son, Jesus. God, again today, I pray, please help us to revel in this king, to receive this king with glad hearts, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with this king and find the life that you've called us to live, a life of peace, a life of joy, and a life filled with hope, only found in this king and then share with others in community as we walk this journey together. Lord, for those today who've maybe just missed sight of that king, who've missed, lost sight of Jesus, who've never seen Jesus before, Holy Spirit, I pray and ask right now that you would do a miracle in people's hearts. Help them to see Jesus. Help them to see this king. Help them to be born again. To say, I want to know about this king. 
please Holy Spirit do that miracle now I ask refresh our hearts in this King Lord I pray that we would spend the rest of this day and the rest of our lives worshipping a good and gracious and glorious King Lord today I do ask and I do pray this now in Jesus name Amen We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today If you have any questions or comments from today's talk please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.